badness in the world. You know, but there will be a time in which you can just rejoice in the Lord and be glad of it. And the scripture says, this is the day that the Lord has made and we shall what? Rejoice in it. We're going to rejoice in it. And people today are burdened with so many things. People are depressed. People popping pills for everything. But if you want to pop something, pop open the Bible. And and see the joy that comes through. And see the joy that takes place. It's something when you sit down and you read God's word and God begins to speak back to you. It's something. And he's alive. He's a living God. And oftentimes we forget that. That he's not dead. He's very much alive. Let's go to prayer. Father, we want to thank you and praise you, Lord, for the day that you've given unto us to come out and worship you and to praise you. For truly, Lord, we're here to glorify you. We're not here, Lord, to be seen of the flesh, per se, because we know, Lord, that in the flesh, the flesh in and of itself cannot bring any glory to your name. But we're here, Lord, to humble ourselves under the mighty hand of your Holy Spirit, knowing that, Lord, he's the one that has to glorify. He's the one that has to reveal. He's the one that has to make truth known. And, Lord, we pray that, Father, that as your word go forth, that we will have an ear to hear, we'll have a mind to understand it, we'll have a heart, Lord, that's receptive to it, and that, Lord, we would be a people who are willing to participate in your word, to carry it out, to live it out, to do it for your glory and your honor. Let us not only be hearers of the word, but, Lord, May we perform it. May we do it with all of our heart and all of our might. That you might be glorified in this day. And Lord, we pray, Father, for many. That the door of heaven may be open for them. We pray for our missionaries around the world. That as they carry your message, that many may hear. And we pray, Father, that your kingdom, this day, that there will be new members into your kingdom. May you bless and we'll give you the praise in Jesus' name. And in his name we pray. Amen. How many of you really believe that if God speaks, God will do it? Yeah. Yeah. Um, Let me share something with you. If God has spoken it, and he's not doing it, don't believe in him. Because it's all a hoax. It's nothing but a myth. <clears throat> but if you take the very first book in the Bible, Genesis, and God said, let there be light, in verse 2. If there was no light, we need to close the book. <laughs> Because God is speaking, but he cannot perform. When God speaks, we ought to look for his performance. We ought to look for the evidence that God really has spoken and God is really doing and performing. Now, if you don't find any evidence, 
And let me say this clearly. If you don't find any evidence outside of the Bible about God, throw that Bible away. Because God is the God of history. God is the one who has written history. And God is the one who moves upon the hearts of people in order to bring about history and demonstrate his own glory and power. God is. God is. For God to speak of a king, a Persian, a hundred years before he was born, and history bears that out, and says that that king would deliver Israel, is only a living God that can do that, because only a living God can look down through history before it takes place and declare it. Only a living God can do that. If we cannot look at history and find the fingerprints of God, isn't there something? When you're looking for evidence, you want to find fingerprints on the weapon, you want to find fingerprints, you want to find something that really declares that person's been there, you want to find a footprint, fingerprint, some kind of print, something of evidence that says that's the person. When we truly take time and look at history, we see the fingerprints of God. We see God moving in the hearts of people. We see God performing that only a living God is able to perform and to do. One of the questions about Israel, does Israel have a right to be in the land that they're in today? God pointed out that part of the land strictly for a nation. And as we really dig into that, we begin to see that God gave them that land and it coincides with his word and with history. And God is the only one who could have brought Israel back into the land in 1948. Israel had no army. Israel really had no weapons to really speak of, of just some old weapons from World War One and some from World War Two, but really no army. And even to have Britain over the control of Palestine and that whole area, Iran, Iraq, Jordan, Britain was totally in control. And for Britain to mandate that they would give a homeland to Israel is something. Because Israel, from the Babylonian captivity, with their exile, have always been in control of the Gentiles, based on Luke 21, the day of the Gentiles. And the Gentiles have been in control of Jerusalem, from the Babylonians, the Persians, 
the Greeks and the Romans. And then if you study the last part, the Ottoman Empire, the Turks. It is strange because we ask the question, does Israel have a legitimacy or legitimate claim to the land that they're in? And another question I will pose to you is this. Is the fighting that takes place about Israel and the comments, let's push Israel into the sea or let's kill all the Jews, is that really about land or something else? And I want to submit to you, it's about something else rather than land. Arab nations argue that the Jews have no legitimate claim to the land. And that's been their argument. That they have no legitimate claim to the land. Well, if that's the case, none of us have that. Because the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. It all belongs to who? One thing about it, <clears throat> when you see that hearse going down the street, you never see the house following them. You know, you're just renting that piece of land where that house is at for a moment. You don't take it with you. It still remains in God's hands. The issue is, can we find evidence that the land really belongs to Israel? We find it both in the Bible and strangely in the Koran that the land really does belong to Israel. The Koran then would give evidence of another book outside of the Bible that the land belongs to who God has granted it to. The, the Koran declares that God granted the Jewish people full possession of the land. In the Koran, it says, in Sarah 5, 20 through 21, I better get it up here so that you can follow along with me. Can I get it? There we go. He says, in the Koran, remember Moses said to his people, O my people, Call in remembrance the favor of God unto you when he produced prophets among you, made you kings, and gave you what he had not given. Now catch what it says. Had not given to any other among the people. 
You cannot find another group of people that God specifically gave land to. You can't find another group that God specifically gave a section of land to. O my people, enter the holy land which God have assigned unto you and turn not back. Enter the land that God has assigned to you. In Psalms 17, 104-108, I can only put 104 up there, and I'm going to read the other from the Koran. He says, And when, in verse 104, And when we say thereafter to the children of Israel, Dwell securely in the land. From the Koran. Dwell securely in the land of promise. But when the second of the warning came to pass, we gathered you together in a mingled crowd. Out of the Koran, in verse 5, he says, We sent down the Koran in truth, and in truth has it descended. And we sent thee but to give glad tidings and to warn sinners. 106. It is a Koran which we have divided into parts from time to time in order that thy mightest recite it to men. At intervals we have revealed it by stages. Save whatever you believe, in it or not, it is true that those who were given knowledge beforehand, who was given knowledge beforehand? Israel. Beforehand, when it is recited to them, fall down on their faces in humble prostration. That when the Koran is given to them, or when Mohammed would speak to them, that they would fall down on their faces. Mohammed launched his religion in 622 when the Jews around Mecca refused to abandon their faith and submit to Islam. At that point, war between Islam and Israel began. Mohammed declared that the Jews were the enemies of Allah and initiated warfare to force them to submit to Islam or die. It is not about the land, it's about worshiping Allah and submitting to Islam. It's not about the land, it's about being forced to either worship Allah or die. You will also find that that's what basically takes place in 2 Thessalonians 2.4. We're not going to go through it all. But when the lawless one stands up in the temple of God, declaring himself to be God, 
that he's going to force everyone to worship him. Then you find it again in Revelations 13. When the beast, the second beast, causes people to worship the first beast. And I want to suggest to you, is Satan using Islam in a sense also to stir up the fighting that is going on today and eventually Christians are going to have to fight also and America is seen as a Christian nation although it is not a Christian nation to enter into this and what politicians are trying not to say a religious war a religious war on Islam's side it is a religious war on America's side is terrorism is not religious. But everything over there says it's religion. Over here we say that it's not. And the issue is the same mandate that Christianity have is what Islam has to convert the world. To convert the world. That if you do not, the difference would be this. If you do not worship Allah then you will be put to death. Or you will pay a tax. Under Christianity, God has given you a choice to exercise your will to receive him or reject him. For scripture says, either you are for me or you are against me. There's no middle ground. Arabs inhabit 21 countries in the Middle East. Their population is 50 times that of Israel. 50 times. If they wanted to give the Palestinians land, they could do it and settle this whole issue very quickly. The British gave them, after World War II, the land that at that time really was not recognized with all the oil. <laughs> with all the oil. So they have untold riches. And they themselves could finance the Palestinians, their homeland, and do whatever they would so desire to do with the wealth that they possess with the oil. Now, God also promised Israel. God promised that they would have the land. Go with me to Genesis 13. As Christians... We always come back and base everything on the Word. And I think history can always come back and be based on the Word. Because God is the one at work down through the ages of history. And whether we like it or not, we're going towards an end that nobody really wants to go towards. We all plan to live for what? Forever and ever and ever. 
I'll never forget when I was at Akron General Hospital as a chaplain, this Asian person shared with me, Americans only prepare to live. They don't prepare to die. They only prepare to live. The rest of the world prepares to die. America believes it, it has so much to live for. Well, the rest of the world, it knows death can be very, very quickly. May not live a long life. May not live to get 70 years old. May not live to get 60 years old. Do you understand most of the world does not live to be 55? In Genesis 13, verses 14 through 15. When Abram came to Egypt, the Egyptians saw. Uh-oh. Where am I at? I'm in the wrong place. 13. Let's get to chapter 13. Was I there in 13? The Lord said to Abram, after Lot had parted from him, lift up your eyes from where you are. And look north and south, east and west. All the land that you see, all the land that you see, I will give to you and your offsprings forever. I will make your offsprings like the dust of the earth, so that if anyone could count the dust, then your offsprings could be counted. He tells Abram, look east, west, south, north. As far as you can see, this land now is yours and your descendants. When you go back and study the area where Abram was standing, it's Jerusalem. It's Palestine. It's the home that eventually will become Israel. And God promised it. And God continues to carry out that promise. Go over to Genesis 28, verse 13. There above stood the Lord, and he said, I am the Lord, the God of your father Abraham, and the God of Isaac. I will give you and your descendants the land of which you are living. Your descendants will be like the dust of the earth, and you will spread out to the west and to the east, to the north and to the south. And all peoples of the earth will be blessed through you and your offsprings. I am with you and will watch over you. God's watching over Israel. Oftentimes we call Israel the the time clock of God. Keep your eye on Israel. And for all those centuries, all those years that Israel was not a nation. And then Israel in 1948 becomes a nation again. How? How? No army, no way of defeating the people that were around them. How? 
And, and yet, God constantly promises, even in Ezekiel 34:13, and Ezekiel 36:22 through 24, God promised Israel He would bring them back into their land that He had given unto them. He makes that promise. Can history reveal God's working and placing Israel back in the land? Can history do that? Can we see it? Can we go and study history and see it? That God is at work. Again, from A.D. 70, the Romans' destruction of Jerusalem. You can go back as far as the Babylonian. Jerusalem had been under Gentile rule. Luke 21, 24, which God said would happen. Now understand in 1920, the population around Jerusalem, as far as Jews, was as low as 58,000 people. 58,000 people. And yet they live among the Arabs, the Palestinians. They lived among the people. But there were only 58,000 of them. Why? They had been scattered into all the world. In the late 1800s, Russia and Ukraine began to persecute the Jews. And many of them began to go back home. At least it was safe. At least they thought. By 1946, there were 375,000 Jews in the area of Israel. In 1946, it grew to 675,000. Then by 1952, one and a half million people. By 1967, over 2,655,000 grow. But this is what's the amazing part. Remember, God scattered them into the world. But God draws them back from 107 different countries. When you go to Israel, you hear all different type of languages spoken. Because of where the people have come from. But he called them back from 107 different countries. Is God fulfilling his promise? God scattered them. And God's promise was, I will call you back. And he calls them out of 100. Israel has recorded that their people from around the world has come from 107 different countries countries. Is God fulfilling his word? Yes. Yes, very much so. Before World War I, World War I, the Ottoman Empire or the Turks or Turkey today ruled over the land of Israel. And they ruled for over 400 years that area. But the Turks sided in World War I to fight along with Germany. And a strange thing took place in World War I. 
that England needed acetone for its bombs. Acetone is a clear, vital liquid. Um, it's explosive. But amazing, there was a Jewish professor, Dr. Tim Wiseman, developed a process of producing acetone out of starch. Acetonic acetone. And he also designed for England and also built the factories that they could manufacture acetone in large quantities. For that, the British people wanted to give him some type of high award. And he asked simply, would you do something for Israel? Will you do something for my people? After World War I, the British and the French mainly divided up all the land over there. And the British controlled Palestine. They controlled part of Turkey. They controlled Iran, Iraq. The British controlled most of that area. But it's strange. On November 2nd, 1917, Lord Belfort, <coughs> Foreign Secretary for England, he wrote to the king, asking the king, if they could do something special for the Jews. Since it was a Jewish man who discovered the synthetic acetone for their bombs for World War I. His Majesty's government viewed with favor the establishment in Palestine of a national home for the Jewish people and will use their best endeavors to facilitate the achievement of this object. The letter is known as Belfort Declaration. You can go look it up. You can find it in your encyclopedia. You can go and just study a little bit of history of World War I, and you will discover it. It's there. It's documented. Now, the thing I want to challenge you in thinking is this. How is it that God put a Jewish professor... right time, right place with the smarts and the intelligence in his research to discover how to get acetone out of starch. That's nothing but God. That's nothing but God. That was not luck. That was not coincidence. And for that man to ask, at that time, one of the strongest countries in the world, Britain, would you give something 
to my people. Not me, but my people. And they then legally set aside some land, homeland for Israel. From World War I all the way down to World War II, England controlled that area. If you watch any of the foreign movies, old-time movies, you, you, you're able to find the English over in that area fighting the Arabs and fighting this and fighting that. You're able to see a little bit of history. Now, it's strange. The same man who in, discovered this acetone became the first president also in 1948 became the first president of Israel, Dr. Wiseman. David Ben-Gurion was the first prime minister and he spoke before the Palestinian Royal Commission about Israel's right to the land. He said the Bible is our mandate basically referring to Old Testament. The Bible is our mandate. The mandate of the League of Nations is only a recognition of the right and does not establish new things. What is he saying? What the League of Nations took and made legal or written into law that this partial of land would be for Israel, he's saying it's already been given to us by a higher authority, God. And you're not creating something new. It's ours. It's ours. You're not doing something new. We already own it. We already possess it. But they understood why they were not in it. And this one I just love. This one just blew me away. British Amon Edmund Allerby, a Christian. He was taught as a child to pray for Israel. He was taught to pray that Israel would once again be able to live in their land. He was taught that once again that Israel would draw close to the Lord. And he prayed that as a young boy. Never knowing what part of history he was going to play in delivering Israel from the Turks or the Ottoman Empire in World War I. But he prayed constantly for Israel. On December 11, 1917, Allaby sent his planes flying low over Jerusalem. And this is strange here now. Not one bomb was dropped. Not one shot was fired. Not one drop of blood was shed. And there was a reason for that. In the Turkish language, General Alibi's name meant Allah Bey. 
which means Mohammed's prophet. And there had been a tradition down through Islam for years that when Allah Bey show up, a man with that name, when Allah Bey comes to Jerusalem, the land would be returned to Israel. The land would be given back to the Jews when Allah Bey would show up. And that was a tradition that was taught among the different priests and so forth and clergy of the Muslim faith. Now, today, there's a bridge there in Israel called Alabeh Bridge. It sits at the east and the west bank of Jerusalem. It is the boundary between Israel and Jordan. And it still stands today. And it was built by General Alabi. Jews have been scattered over the world for 2,100 years. Yet God's promise holds true. God's promise holds true. And, and, and you and I need to understand that in God's promise... God keeps it. When God speaks, He does it. When God says it's going to come to pass, it's going to come to pass. And we should be able then to look down through history and see, did God do it? Now, we can always come to the point and we can say, that well, man did this. And it's just by coincidence it fits the Bible. It's by accident or by luck or just by chance this guy did this and Christians are saying this is what took place. But you cannot explain how a young man in his childhood prayed that Israel would be able to return home and then God used him to deliver Jerusalem without a shot, without a fight, without a drop of blood. And that he would be a part of that, of what he prayed for. That he would be a part of what he prayed for. It's just amazing to be able to see that, understand it. Let me go back one. Because there's something I want you to go to with me. Go to Isaiah chapter 3. I'm sorry, Isaiah 31. And go to verse 5. Isaiah 31 and verse 5. Look what the Lord says and then put it with what was said. Because you have to ask this question. Did God do it? Did God do it? And remember it said that The Lord said, I will watch over you. The Lord said, I will watch over you. In 31.5, he says, let me get there. Oh, come on, pages. He says, 
Like birds hovering overhead, the Lord Almighty will shield Jerusalem. The Lord Almighty will shield Jerusalem. The Lord Almighty will protect Jerusalem. Jerusalem has been in the hands of many Gentile kings and countries. And yet the Lord says he will protect Jerusalem. The issue about bringing Israel back to the land in which he promised, but not for the sake of Israel. But in Ezekiel he tells us, for his namesake he does it. He does it for his namesake. Because he has spoken it. He had promised it. And God's going to keep his word. And he said and made the promise to Abraham's seed that he would watch over them as a people. And he kept them in 107 different countries. God prospered Jewish people. And God kept them. And upon his appointed time, he began to call them back home out of 107 different countries. God called them. And here is Elevi sending his war planes over Jerusalem, but not having to drop one bomb, not have to fire one shot, not one drop of blood was shed. And the Turks left. That's historical. You can go just find that historical. The Turks did not fight about Jerusalem. They left it. Because of that name. And he goes on in that verse and he says, Like birds hovering overhead, the Lord Almighty will shield Jerusalem. He will shield it and deliver it. Deliver it. He will pass over it and will rescue it. God says, I'm going to deliver Israel, Jerusalem. I'm going to rescue it. For the land belongs to a certain group of people. And this is what I'm going to do. And I'm going to bring them back. And remember, if you go back and check history, Israel had no standing army after World War II. Israel was not even a nation. Israel had really no power at all. And yet defeated a people that were more popular than they were. The six-day wars cannot be explained other than that God gave Israel victory so quickly. Cannot be explained. And the Jews scattered coming home. It's amazing that God is keeping his word. And God is calling them back home and bringing them back to the land that he had promised unto them. 
And we need to understand, God just keeps his word. Go to Jeremiah 31 with me. Jeremiah 31. And understand that God is restoring a people coming out of exile. Start with me in verse 35. Get these glasses tuned up. This is what the Lord says. He who appoints the sun to shine by day, who decrees the moon and the stars to shine by night. Isn't this something? God said, whoever makes the sun shine by day and the moon give its light by night. Whoever does that. And he's saying, he does it. He does it. He says then, who stirs up the sea so that its waves roar. The Lord Almighty is his name. Only if these degrees vanish from my sight. Only if these degrees vanish from my sight. What is he saying? The sun would have to stop giving off its brightness. The moon would have to stop showing its light at night. The waves in the ocean would have to stop piling up. He says, only if these cease, then this other would not happen. But the sun is not going to stop shining. The moon is not going to stop giving this light. And the waves on the ocean is going to continue to do. Amazing. And he goes on and he simply says, Only if these decrees vanish from my sight, declares the Lord, will the descendants of Israel ever cease. Catch that. Will ever cease. Go down through history and discover how many groups of people or nations have deceased. It used to be said by scientists and so forth, the Bible isn't true because the Bible spoke of a group of people called the Hittites. And it wasn't until the late 1800s that they found that there were a group of people called the Hittites, which substantiated what the Bible had said. And the whole process is that the Lord is saying Israel will always be in existence. This group of people will always be in existence. How many of you understand how many Indian tribes were in the United States? And how many exist today? You can go and you can count 
approximately how many Indian tribes exist in America today. You can go around the world to certain groups of people or countries that no longer exist. But yet God says about this one little group of people who look like should have been totally, utterly destroyed. That they will not be extinct. They will not be destroyed. That they will last. That's amazing. With all that the Jewish people have gone through, they should not be in existence. For every country they've ever lived in, they've been persecuted. For every group that they've ever tried to unite with, they've been persecuted. It's only been by the grace of God that they still exist today. And he says, and his promise to them, that they will exist as long as the sun exists, as long as the moon exists, they will exist. Last verse, let's go to Amos 9. Amos 9, 14 and 15. Take this verse and you ask yourself this question. Has God done this? Is God doing this? Has God done this? Is God doing this? There are TV ads about helping fly Jewish people from Russia, Ukraine, different parts of the world back to Islam. And people are giving funds today. To still help Jewish individuals around the world go home. So in Amos 9, 14, 15, listen to what God says. I will bring back my exiled people, Israel. God said that. Not man. If God says, I'm going to bring them back, what is he going to bring them back to if the Ottomans own the land? What is he going to bring them back to if the Palestinians own the land? What is he going to bring them back to if some other group is in charge of the land? What is he bringing them back to? But God says, I will bring them back out of exile. And God is speaking this years before it ever took place. So when something took place in 1948 and Israel became a nation again, many Christians stood up and said, Wow, God kept his word. God brought them back to the land that was promised to Abraham back in Genesis. 
God brought them back. And he has established them. As we continue to study this thing about end times, we will study in Ezekiel again that chapter 36, 34 through 36 area, that Russia, the Turks, and many others are going to come against Israel to try to destroy them. Again, I will say to you, is it about the land or is it a spiritual battle? Is it about the land or is it a spiritual battle? And most people think it's about the land. And the reality is, it's about a spiritual battle. Islam says, when you go into a country, go into the country and be quiet. Adapt to the laws of that country. It's written in the Quran. But it says, when you begin to take power, and your population grows, then you begin to enforce the Quran. I think there are three in Congress that are now Muslim. We will have an Emin, I think, this year that's appointed for the first time to lead open prayer for Congress also. We're always seeing the problems that France is having with Islam. We're seeing the problems that England is having with Islam. Because the populations there have grown so much that now they're beginning to force or they're beginning to say, we don't want to be under the law of England. We want to be under the Sharia law. France is saying, we don't want to be under the law of France. We want to be under the law of Sharia law. And we're beginning to see these battles take place in these countries where a large population of Islam has grown. And we're going to see it here in America. We're going to see it here in America. Because America basically could care less whose authority it lives under as long as we can party and do our thing. And he says, I will bring back my exiled people Israel. And they will rebuild the ruined cities and live in them. Remember what Israel was like before Israel went back as a nation? Israel produces more fruit than any other nation. Israel has more salt than any other nation. It may have just been discovered that that little land of Israel may have more oil than Saudi Arabia. But when you go to Israel and see it flourished, somehow that desert piece of land began to grow things that could not be grown before. Has God blessed Israel? Yes. Has God been able to take care of Israel? Yes. There are some amazing things that have taken place around Israel that our local news never speak of. 
and he keeps it. I will bring them back, my exiled people, Israel, and they will rebuild the ruined cities and live in them. They will plant vineyards and drink their wine. They will make gardens and eat their fruit. I will plant Israel in their own land. Catch what God says. I will plant Israel in their own land. Not somebody else's. In their own land. Never again to be uprooted. And the land I have given them, says the Lord your God. Catch that. I will plant them there. Never again to be what? Uprooted. That's why when we read, and as we continue with this study, even though a powerful nation like Russia and many other Arab nations come against Israel from the north, God intervenes and Israel cannot be defeated. Why? They have been promised never again to be pushed out of the land. Boy, that's amazing. Only one who can do that is a living God. That's not luck. That's not by chance. It was Golden Meyer that called Richard Nixon. And this is his historical also. And told Richard Nixon that unless America helped and intervened with weaponry and so forth. Israel would be utterly destroyed. Now, I don't know much about Richard Nixon, but Richard Nixon's mother was a Christian. And she called her son, the President of the United States, and said, Help Israel. And he did. And that turned the tide of that six-day war. A mother told her son, who was president of the United States, <laughs> help Israel. My God can whisper into the ears and hearts of people, speak to people, and cause them to act and to do. That is amazing. It's not enough for you and I to just take the Bible and say to people, read the Bible. Here's what the Bible says. It's the Word of God and history that bears out the evidence of a living God. And there will be those who will deny history and the Word and will close their eyes. But remember what Scripture says. They see, but they see not. They hear, but they hear not. Least they would understand and be what? Saved. And it's the individual's choice. Because God is showing the evidence not only in his word, but also historically that he is. And he speaks. And he acts. And he performs for his own glory. He's more than able. He's more than able. If you only believe him. And it's not a blind faith. 
is not a belief that you just gunger it up and you think it's real. No. That faith has an object. Jesus Christ. You don't get ready to sit down hoping something's going to be there. You sit on an object, call it a chair, a stool, a bench. You know it's there. And you sit there believing it's going to hold you. And you're not going to wind up on the floor. That is the faith we put in God. That I have my faith in Him and He's going to hold me. He's going to keep me, and as we sung earlier, he's going to lead me all the way from earth to heaven. Amen? He's able. He's a powerful God. He's a living God. Let's pray. Father, we want to thank you, Lord.